Psalm 119, beginning in verse 65. Si habla español, abran sus Biblias al Salmo capítulo 119, versículos 65 a 72. If you don't have a Bible, know that we, we have extras uh, positioned around the theater. Uh, if, you, if you need one, just look around. You can probably find one of the, the hardcover blue Bibles. We'll be reading from the ESV version. Or you can just open up your phone's browser and type in Psalm 119 and then scroll down to verse 55 and then I'll do the rest. Now, full disclosure, this sermon was not in our original plans. Today, we were planning on finishing the book of Habakkuk. But Jason got sick, and we found ourselves on Wednesday or Thursday of this week going, okay, Lord, what would you have us to preach and to learn from this Sunday? So we wanted Jason to be able to finish the book of Habakkuk. And as we were thinking and praying about this, the Lord led me to a sermon that I preached in the church that we were sent from, a sermon that I preached about a decade ago from Psalm 119. And this particular passage within Psalm 119 is a passage that echoes the themes of Habakkuk. It tells of, of troubling and confusing times, but, but points to a good God. Which is really one of the, one of the ways you can summarize Habakkuk. But, but here's the thing, and here's why I believe the Lord has led us to this text and this sermon today in the middle of our Habakkuk series. This is why, because it tells us of a good God who has spoken a good word. It tells us of a good God who has spoken a good word. A good word we need and we need to delight to hear. In an article titled, Dear Rules, I Love You, author William Ross summarizes, Psalm 119 as a whole is basically a love poem to the scriptures. And this theme might sound strange at first, but the psalmist finds the scriptures so outrageously lovable because they come from God. It's a love poem to the good words of a good God. And it's 176 verses. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. 176 verses divided into 22 stanzas or 22 sections of eight verses, and all 22 sections correspond to one letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And this section is the ninth section and corresponds, you'll see in your Bible there, the, the heading is Teth. That's the ninth letter in the Hebrew alphabet, right above verse 65. So let's, let's read this section in this love letter to God's word beginning in verse 65. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. 
The insolent smear me with lies, but with my whole heart I keep your precepts. Their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. This is God's word. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Lord, if we have any love in our hearts for your word, it's because it comes from you. And you are eminently lovable above all else because you first loved us. And even your word is an expression of your love to us. So I pray that today we would receive it as that. That we would feel and experience and know your love as we sit under the teaching of your word. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let me ask you this. Why do people go to school? Why why does almost every person in the United States go through 12 years of school and then some go through an additional four years of school and then some more go through an additional three to 10 years of school? Why do people do it? it? Is it for the sake of studying and learning? You, you might say that, but even the studying and the learning is a means to a greater end, right? Is it for the diploma? Is it for what you can put on your resume? You, you could say that, but there are better ways to get a piece of paper that don't cost hundreds of thousands of dollars and years of your life. I would submit the reason people go to school It's for the sake of understanding. It's for the sake of understanding the course material that comprises the education. And it's that understanding, whether it's a general understanding of the subjects uh, that that you learn in elementary and middle and high school, or a more specific understanding of a particular course of study that you would take in college, it's that understanding that enables you to take that next step into the next season of life, whatever that might be. Understanding, understanding is why People go to school. And Alec Motyer, a commentator on the book of Psalms, he says of this passage, he says that this passage dwells on the Lord's redirection of our lives. We are pupils in his school of affliction. Do you hear now why this connects to Habakkuk? We are pupils in his school of affliction. He is principal of the school and the graduation award is the treasure of his word. We are pupils in the school of his affliction and the prize for graduating is the treasure of his word. In other words, God is good and while we might be tempted to think that our trials are unfair cards that we've been dealt, they're actually the school in which we learn about God's goodness. He's the principal of the school. And, and, and you might be thinking, well, yeah, you're predictable here because you're next going to say that the Bible is the course curriculum. 
that's only partly true. God's word is is what we study and learn from, but it's also the prize. The understanding of it is the prize that we're after upon graduation from the school of affliction. Understanding the course material is the prize. Listen, friends, what Habakkuk is telling us, and and we will finish next week, is that God is good. And what this passage tells us is that the, the word that God gives us is good. God's word is good. Here's my aim today. I want to help you through the power of the Holy Spirit to reframe your understanding of the Bibles that you hold in your hands. If you find having a regular discipline of opening up God's Word and reading it difficult, if if maybe the only time you open God's Word is on a Sunday morning while we're doing this very thing, if you see reading God's Word as drudgery, as something that you have to do, or maybe something that you feel like you should do, but you just don't want to do, or maybe something that you've tried to do and you just haven't found much from it. I'm asking God to help us to reframe our understanding of God's word and how we approach God's word through Psalm 119. And listen, we we can preach to you from Habakkuk until we're blue in the face and tell you that God is good, but that truth will leak from your heart and leak from your brain unless you regularly go back to the well where you learn of God's goodness. And that is God's word. Listen, the point of today's sermon is is effectively this, and it's very simple, that that God's word both reveals God's goodness and is itself God's goodness to you. It both reveals God's goodness and is in itself. This is God's goodness to you. And as unoriginal as we usually are, There are two points today, and they're the Bible reveals a good God, and two, the Bible is God's goodness toward you. We're going to dive into each of those and learn that from this section, this ninth section of Psalm 119. So let's start with this first point. The Bible reveals a good God. Look down at verse 65. He says, You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. In other words, he says, your word told me about you. And it told me that you would do good to me. I want you to notice something right off the bat here. There's something that's implied in the phrase, according to your word. It implies that God has spoken. That God has revealed something of himself to the psalmist. And that in itself is is 
is magnificently wonderful for us to realize that God has spoken and that he's revealed himself. And while this alone is, is staggeringly wonderful, here's what I want you to notice. What God reveals of himself in his word sets the psalmist's expectations of what God is like. What God has revealed to the psalmist from his word sets the psalmist's expectations of what God is like. This sounds like Habakkuk. And if you don't get the connection there, let me explain it to you. Though Habakkuk complained against God, if you've been with us for the last couple weeks, Habakkuk is, is lobbying these complaints against God. And though he's complaining, he complained because what he was experiencing was different than what he expected based on what God's revelation of, of what God had revealed of himself in his word. He says in Habakkuk 1-2, he says, how long shall I cry for help, O God? In other words, haven't you promised haven't I read in your word that you would listen to the cries of your people? He says in Habakkuk 1.12, Aren't you from everlasting, O God? Have I not read that you are from everlasting? He says in the next verse, Aren't you of purer eyes than to look at evil? I've read these things in your word and I don't understand how that connects with what I'm experiencing. I want to believe what I've read of you in your word, but help me to make this connection. And even though he was confused and questioning, it, it was what God had revealed about himself in his word that set his expectation of how God would act, of what God would be like. And that's one of the reasons why Habakkuk's complaint is appropriate. Because it was informed and originated by what he knew of God from his word. There's an important, there's an important instruction for us in this. Hear this well. There's a big difference between having expectations based on what God has said he is like and what you think God should be like. There's an important difference between framing your expectations based off of what God has said he is like and expectations based off of what you think he should be like. And we hear notions about this floating around in the world around us, that these notions that God is love, and if, if, if he's loving, then he wouldn't allow this. If, if God is, is really God, then this wouldn't happen, or this would happen, or, or he would allow this, or he wouldn't allow, allow that. And, and this seeps into our minds, and we begin to, to think things like, well, if God loved me, he would make my life better in this way, or that way, or, or the other. Or, or if he were really there, he wouldn't allow what's happening in my life right now. Or... Or if God were God, he wouldn't really expect me to forgive what that person said to me or what my spouse did to me. That went too far. God doesn't ask that I forgive that. Those are, those are based off of notions of what we think God should be like 
that are born out of our desires and our thoughts, not from God's word. So let me ask you this. What is setting your expectation about what God is like and what God should be like? When you're asking those questions, when life doesn't make sense according to what you know of God, are you going back to God's word and reminding yourself of what he's actually said about who he is and what he is like? Or are you, are you listening to the voices in your own head, setting your expectations off of what you think he should be like? Listen, Habakkuk, Habakkuk and the psalmist, they, they understood that when they came to God's word, they weren't just encountering a book of information. They were encountering God. And friends, that's one of the most fundamental realities that we need to understand when, when we look at our Bibles. This is, this is the revelation of God himself. God is revealing himself to us through his word. We come to the Bible to encounter God creator of the universe, the redeemer of our souls. And when Habakkuk and the psalmist came to God's word, what did they find? They found a God who said, listen, even though you might not understand, I'm working for your good. I'm working for the good of my covenant people. And I'm, and I'm working justice in the world, and I'm working for your redemption. And don't mean to spoil it, but Habakkuk eventually learned that. He persevered through his confusion. The Lord graciously led him through his confusion, and he learned, oh, God is good. And the psalmist here, he had gone through the school of affliction, and in verse 65 he says, Lord, you have dealt with your servant, with me, according to your word. You have said you are good, and you will do good. And while the psalmist may have been David or it may have been another, we don't know. What we do know is that he had experienced God's goodness according to his word. And so he concludes, look in verse 68, at the first part of 68, he says, he says, you are good and you do good. You have said you are good, you have told me you will do good, and my experience has been that you are good and that you do good. God. Commentator Alec, Alec Motyer says, come what may, because the Lord is good, he can only do good. And that was the psalmist's conclusion. My friend, if, if you read God's word, you will encounter a God who is good and who promises to do good. So let me ask you this. Are you able to say along with the psalmist, you have dealt with me, O Lord, according to your word. Are you able to say that this morning? Are you able to say, Lord, you have dealt with me according to your word? And if you're a Christian, and I want you to be honest, and it's, it's okay to be honest, especially with yourself before the Lord. If you're a Christian and your answer is no, or if your answer is ever no when you're a Christian, I want to gently and graciously tell you, you're wrong. You're wrong. You are wonderfully and blissfully wrong. Because 
Because God has done good for you in a way that can never be improved upon. And it'll never wear out. (laughs) He's given you the, the, the poker hand that beats all other hands in the game of life forever. He's given you the antidote to life's most perplexing and infectious disease. He has given you himself. And we know that he's revealed himself. He's given, he's given himself to his people by saying, I will be your God and you will be my people and I will speak to you and you will understand and obey my words. Oh, but friends, on <laughs> this day and age when we live today in 2023, we look back on God's giving of himself in a way that had never happened before and will never happen again and we never need, to, need it to happen again. God gave himself by revealing his word made flesh in his son who lived as a man, God in human flesh and then literally gave himself, gave his life on a cross for the forgiveness of your sins for the defeat of the death that is coming for you that is the outcome of every person's life, such that your death is only the doorway into eternal life, spent in perfect bliss in his presence, in a sinless existence. God gave himself to you, and God gave himself for you through the cross of Jesus Christ. And that is the greatest good that has ever happened to you. And my friend, this morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ the Lord as your Savior, if you've not trusted him as your Savior, life will be an ebbing and a flowing of feeling like good is happening to you and bad is happening to you with no firm anchor of of assurance that There's good in every situation. But the cross stands as our great assurance of God's goodness toward us. And my friend, let me ask you this. Where do you encounter the story of the cross? It's in God's word. It's the story of the gospel. The New Testament calls that story the gospel, the good news. And in fact, it is the central story that the entirety of the Bible is arranged around. It's about the gospel. And if we don't come back to the well, that story and the truth of God's word just leaks out of our brains and our hearts. Try as we might to keep it, we need to come back to God's word on a regular basis. God has revealed himself in his word that he will be good to you. And he has dealt with you according to his word. If you are a Christian, And that should have a particular effect on you. If he really has dealt with you according to his word, that should have a particular effect on you. It did to the psalmist. It had a particular outcome in his life. Look down down at verse 66. The second part of the verse. He says, for I believe in your 
commandments. Look at verse 67, second part. It says, now I keep your word. I believe your commandments and I keep your word. In other words, he has graduated from the school of affliction. He's graduated from another grade in the school of affliction and he's learned of God's goodness in his word and he's experienced that goodness. And what does he understand? What is the prize at the end of of that grade of the school of affliction? That a good God is a God worth listening to. He comes to the end of that grade of the school of affliction and he says, man, I love his commandments. I believe his word is true. Because I studied the word through the school of affliction and it proved itself to be steadfast and good. And I persevered through the school of affliction because of that. And so I came out on the other side and I said, yeah, mm, that's good. That's true. I'm going to obey that. I'm going to believe that. And listen, just as an aside, in, in, in the school of affliction, there are a lot of books on the shelves. And nobody goes through the school of affliction without studying. You're studying something in the school of affliction. And there's, there's the book of your feelings. There's the book of your doubts and your fears. There's the book of your self-reliance. There's the book of, of other people's narratives about what's going on in your affliction and why it's happening. There's the book of, of broader worldly narratives. You're reading some book. You're studying some book. If you, if you are suffering, if you are in the midst of affliction, you're studying some book. And that in itself is an argument to run to God's word because it is the only book that you can study that will prove to be unfailingly true and unfailingly good. It's the only one that's going to get you to graduate in such a way that you have increased understanding of God's goodness. Listen, the the psalmist had studied God's word and he'd become steady in his belief, in his commandments. He'd become settled, unshakable. Isn't that a place you want to (laughs) be? Oh, it's a place I want to be. I want to be immovable in the midst of reflection. I want to be convinced that God's word is good. And that leads us to the second point, namely that not only does God or not only does God's word reveal God's goodness to us, but is it is itself God's goodness toward us. So the second point, the Bible is God's goodness toward you and I want us to see this. I want us to see this. So, so lean in right now. Here, here's my burden for you in this point. That the Bible is and contains all the good you need in all of life. That may sound like an exaggeration. But I don't think it is. God is good all of the time, and his word is good for every kind of time. 
And the Bible says as much. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Peter tells the church in Rome, his, meaning God's, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So literally, God has given you everything you need in all of life and for all of godliness. Through what? Through the knowledge of him. How do we come into a knowledge of him? Right here. So right here, you have all you need for life and godliness. It's a big old claim, isn't it? 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 you might know this passage well, says, all scripture is breathed out by God. What a statement, oh my goodness. But also profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. But here's the thing. Here's the difference between those two passages, which I would recommend you keep in your tool belt. <laughs> Memorize those two passages, and if you want them again, they're 2 Peter 1.3 and 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17. But here's the difference between those two passages and this psalm. Those two passages tell us that God's word is good for us in all of life. The psalmist in Psalm 119 had experienced the goodness of God's word in all of life. And my friend, that that is what God wants for you. He wants for you to experience the sufficiency and the goodness of his word for you to be able to come out on the other side of your trial and your affliction and go, I believe that. I want to obey that. And I want to go back to that. Because man, was that sweet water in the midst of my thirst. Man, was that a salve to my wounds in the midst of my pain. So in this psalm, there are really three major life categories identified in this passage. Three three kinds of life situation that really encompasses all of life at the end of the day within which God's word is proven to be good for the psalmist. And the first of those, if you're tracking along, taking notes, the first, the first of those is in times of ease or the good times. The good times. Look at verse 67. He says, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. In other words, he's saying, I, I became convinced of how much I need your word in times of ease because it's precisely during those times when I'm most likely to stray from it. (laughs) Aren't you familiar with this? I know I am. I know I am. It's, It's when things are going well, when I feel less of my need for God's word. And I feel like I've sort of, I've, I've got it covered. I understand. I, I have what I need. And, I, and I'm not drawn back to his word for, for what I need. But that's one of the reasons why the school of affliction is so good. 
Even though that sounds contrary, that's why the school of affliction was so good. And that's why he says, before I was afflicted, I went astray. Because in my self-reliance, I was doing things my own way. I didn't really feel my need for your word. Listen, when you're in school, you study. When you're not in school, you tend not to study. You might do it for leisure, but not because you need it. Let this verse be a reminder to you that you need God's word just as much when you don't feel your need for it as when you do feel your need for it. And you need to be aware of that. You need to be aware of that tendency in yourself. How, how, how are you prone to straying when times are good? How are you subconsciously thinking, I, I don't need that? How does that play out in your life? So there, you, you need God's word. It is good for you in times of ease. Second major life situation is in trials. When, tri- when times aren't good. And these two major life situations really do describe all of life. Call them trials, call it affliction, call it suffering, call it the bad times, call it, call it the times you never want to live through again whatever it is, but the psalmist describes it in verses 69 through 71. He says, the insolent, they smear me with, with lies, but with my whole heart I keep your precepts. Their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. It is good. It is good for me that I was afflicted. that I might learn your statutes. What strange words. Who says that? Who says it was good for me that I was afflicted? And, and the affliction that he's experiencing, it's a particularly nasty kind of affliction. It's, a, it's the affliction of personal injustice. People spreading lies about his reputation, smearing his reputation, and their hearts are unfeeling like fat, which means that they show no remorse about it. They feel justified in their actions to completely uh, initiate a smear campaign about him. And if it's David, we're talking about a smear campaign throughout all of Israel. And yet he finds himself saying, it was good for me to experience that. What? Think of the nastiest trial that you've recently been through. Can you honestly say in your heart of hearts, and it's okay if you say no, because <laughs> like Habakkuk, it's, it's good to be honest before God because he knows your heart, but can you say, it was good for me that I experienced that? That's hard to say. That's hard to say. Who says that? Who says it was good for me to experience affliction? This is who. The person who learns more about the goodness of God through suffering. That's the person who says that. Why was it good that the psalmist suffered? Because during his trial and through his trial, he came to understand God through his word. 
He gained understanding, understanding of what he needed to understand, and he came through at the end of it, and that's what he got. That was his prize. He gained the prize. And he says, yeah, that was tough. Oh, but God showed me his goodness. And it was good that I experienced that. It's just it's crazy. Here's what happened. Affliction transformed head knowledge into heart knowledge for him. Passages of Scripture changed from things he knew to things he was convinced of. God's Word changed from a a useful book to something of precious value to him. I've I've put this to to the test this week. I I went through a a difficult week this week, but but God drove me to his Word, and I, I felt my need for his, for his word. And even though in reality I need his word all the time, this was one of those weeks where I was like, man, God, I need you. I need to come to your word and encounter you. I need you to show me something that is going to be orienting to me. And he directed me to Proverbs 133, and I have been meditating on that this week. And it's been a salve to my soul. And it's been orienting and directing. And I'm coming out at the end of it going, God, you are good. I understand I better understand your goodness because of what I experienced this week. Proverbs 133, this is a passage that I, I've probably read a hundred times, but, but now it has, it, it's, it's, it's not that it's more true than it was before, but to me it's more vibrant. I see its value, I see its practicality, in the midst of the Christian life, and I go, man, that is good. Think of it this way. I, I, I love going to Home Depot. I walk into Home Depot every time, and I look around, and I say, I want to buy all the tools. I want them all. Everything that's in here, I'll just walk through the aisles, and I say, I want all of it. It's why when I go, Kelsey typically, she'll, she'll preload a digital gift card. She'll say, how much are you going to spend? And I tell her how much I intend to spend. And then she preloads a digital gift card and says, hey, please don't use the debit card. Use this, this gift card. And it reigns me in. It keeps me from spending too much. But I'll walk through the aisles and I go, I, I want all of it. This is all good. I don't know what half of the tools are. I don't know what most of them do. But I'm generally convinced it's all good, and it's all good for me. But I don't know how useful the tools are. I don't know why each one has its particular value until I actually take it to a project that I use it on and learn of its practical value to me. And then those tools which have come into my my toolbox and my array of of tools, I know why that one is valuable and how and when it's valuable in the midst of a project. And the same goes for God's word. You may be generally convinced that everything in there is true and good, and that's good. You don't understand how to use the verses and passages and truths and principles unless you have a chance to put them to use. Only then will you understand their intrinsic and deep value to you. To you. Friend, 
Learn to appreciate trials for how they make the value of God's word real for you. So you can learn that lesson. It will reshape how you approach affliction. The third major life situation, and it's not really a a, a situation, but it's in comparison with everything else that we might call good. God's word is good, objectively good, in comparison with everything else we might call good. Look at verse 72, and this is his grand conclusion of of the whole section. He says, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Here's a song that we're going to sing next week called Christ is Mine Forevermore. And its second verse goes like this. Mine are tears in times of sorrow. Darkness not yet understood. Through the valley I must travel though I see no earthly good. Though I see no earthly good. And and that is a description of a lot of our trials, isn't it? You're walking through it and you're just going, I don't see any good in this. This just seems all bad. And, and, And I know God says he's good, but this seems all bad. Through the valley I must travel, though I see no earthly good. And that is what makes God's word so incredibly precious. Because after all is said and done in verse 72, the psalmist says, there is something that I know is unchangeably good for me. Though people may fail me or betray me, or disappoint me, though I will invariably disappoint myself and prove insufficient, though my circumstances don't look at all like I want them to, God's word is there to guide me and direct me and to reveal to me the God who's for me and who loves me and who gave himself for me. It's the good in your life. It is the one physical thing in your life that is always good. The one thing. The one thing. Which is why, having been so satisfied with God's word, he says in verse 66 and 68, he says, teach me good judgment and knowledge and teach me your statutes. He graduated from the the school of affliction and, and the prize at the end is his understanding of the value of God's goodness and it just makes him want more. Notice that. He's saying, I'm satisfied in your word. I believe your commandments. I obey your commandments. And I want more. I want more of it. God's word will always prove to be good for you. It's the only physical thing in your life that will never fail you. In the, in the Pixar film, uh, The Incredibles, maybe you've seen it, a superhero near the end, he suits up. And, and knowing he's going to, where he's going is going to threaten to ruin the dinner plans that he and his wife have made. And, 
And his wife, of course, is upset, and he says, but it's for the greater good. And she replies, I am your wife. I am the greatest good you are ever going to get. God's word is the greatest good you are ever going to get. And that is true. God's word to you. God's word made flesh in Jesus Christ. It's the greatest good you are ever going to get. And God has graciously made it available to you at all times. Whenever you need it. In all kinds of types of life circumstances. So let me just offer one bit of application. And, and let, me, let me just throw my cards out here. As a pastor, I would love if we increasingly became a church full of people who daily read God's word. A people who are characterized by running to God's word when life is good and when life is not good. In the good times and the bad. Who looked to God's word for truth. Who meditated on it constantly. Who go to encounter God on a regular basis in his word. And to become people who increasingly counsel one another through God's word. Now, because of that and in light of that, here's the application. Here's the application. Ask different questions about how you approach your Bible reading. That's the application today. Ask different questions about how you approach your Bible reading. Here are the questions that we typically approach the idea of reading our Bibles with. And, they, and I, I've asked these questions before in, in weak moments. Sometimes I still do ask those questions when I become disillusioned about what God's word is. And, and I've heard these questions from, from others in the church. And, that, and if that's you, that's okay. Because we're all learning together. But here are the questions we typically approach the idea of reading our Bibles with. Do I have to read God's word? Should I have a daily devotion? Is a Christian commanded to read the Bible every day? I would submit those are all the wrong questions. Those are all the wrong questions. If Psalm 119 is true, and if, if we have experienced God's goodness in the school of affliction, the question that we should ask is why wouldn't I come to God's word as often as possible? Not as something I have to do or something I should do, but look what God's word has proven to be to me. It's the same idea of, of asking the question, do I have to? To tell my wife I love her? Do I have to date my wife? Well, those questions shouldn't even be entertained because they're not even the right questions. The right question is, why wouldn't I want to express my love to my wife? Because of who she is to me. That's the principle that applies here. 
if God's word reveals God's goodness and is itself God's goodness to you, oh, run to it. Run to it as often as possible. And find his goodness and experience his goodness so that so that you might be a person who says, ah, I love his commandments. Give me more. Give me more. Because in his word, we've encountered a God who gives himself to us in his son. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are good all of the time, and you and your word is good in every kind of time. Lord, I pray that you would show us, not just because you've told us, but because we've experienced it, how good your word is. I pray that, that we would become convinced of how good your word is for us in every situation of life, and as a result, I pray that we'd be a people filled with joy, a people who, who love you and love your word because we've been loved by you and are amazed that you would speak to us and reveal yourself to us. Oh, Lord, we thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.